much. Man, wow. That was, that was so beautiful. I feel like we should just close in prayer after the kids shared their hearts. And there's just amazing things happening in the children's ministry. And Kathy and April and the team around them, uh, it's really spectacular. It's really beautiful. And especially since I have kids in the ministry, um, it's, it's extra special. Uh, I wasn't here la- I wasn't in the service last Sunday because I was actually down with the kids. I had a, a sweatband on and I was leading some aerobics um, f- Bible story. You'd have to serve in children's ministry to figure out how those things work. But I listened online on my drive out to work on Thursday and I was just in tears. I, like three times on the 91 freeway. Normally you're experiencing other emotions on that freeway. And uh, Bill just brought like such a powerful reflection from John chapter 9. And this whole series, Conversations with Jesus, just the concept itself is pretty incredible. And God has been moving in some pretty fun ways. So I put this in the blurb, and I'm just going to say it here, but it's a fun thought experiment. Imagine for a moment that Jesus... Jesus of Nazareth was preaching this Sunday. Some, yeah, that's, that's a, we got a hoop for Jesus. That's what I'm talking about, Irving. Imagine that Jesus was preaching. It's not like the second coming. It's like the first and a half coming. Okay, It's a quick one weekend only. Jesus is here. Imagine that for a second. And imagine Jesus came to you beforehand and said, Hey, come here, you little stinker. Come here. What would you like me to preach on? What would you like me to, anything you want. What do you want me to talk on? I'm wide open. Imagine Jesus asked you, what do you want me to speak on? All right, so talk to someone next to you. I'll give you like 30 seconds here. Talk to someone next to you or talk to yourself if you're antisocial and, and, and ask them, like, what would you say? How would you, what would you want Jesus to preach on? I mean, he's asking you, what topic? What are you curious about? Go ahead and ask. Talk to someone. 30 seconds. Ten seconds. Jesus is coming. My favorite bumper sticker, Jesus is coming, look busy. Five, four, three, two, and we're back. All right, now I want to hear. I want to hear from y'all. Come on, what, what, would you, what would you like Jesus to preach on? What kinds of things are you curious about? Anything, anyone, I'll start over here. Anyone in this crew? What do you want to hear? What do you want? Oh, you were Almost got you. You were just moving the arm, okay, Matt. How to make good wine, right? I mean, read John chapter two, people. Apparently, it was very good. Matt, we know where your priorities lie. Yes, marriage. marriage. Jesus is like, I didn't get married, okay? That that, that that should tell you the story. No, no. All right, what do you want Jesus to talk on? The book of the apocalypse. Of John. He's like, I don't understand it. I can't really talk on it. I'm kidding. Wow, that one didn't go over well. Uh, okay. <clears throat> now, the book of Revelation. Ooh. All right, who else? What do you want Jesus to talk on? How about this crew over here? All right, we got in the back. Irving, what do you want Jesus to talk on? Heaven. He's like, I was just there. 
What else? What's that? Prodigals. Ooh. That's good. Prodigals. Coming back to the Lord. Yeah, what do you got? Let's take a second to, to sit in this one. Why is there so much pain in this world? I mean, that is, I think that is on the short list of almost any human being who's walked this world. Why is there so much pain in this world? And to ask the person who jumped into the epicenter of it that question. I think that's, he may be the only appropriate person to truly ask that question, right? Why is there so much pain? Good. What else? All right, Bob. Are we interpreting his words correctly? Oh, man. I don't know that I want to know that, right? You're like, oh, don't. He's like, I heard your sermon last weekend, and my goodness, what are you reading? Good. This is, it's a fun, isn't it a fun question? I mean, what would you ask Jesus to preach on? What would you like? Okay, so if Jesus was coming to preach on Sunday, and he was preaching on his own topic, topic of his choosing, Based on what we have in the Gospels, based on what we have in the Gospels, it's most likely that he is preaching on one particular topic, just statistically. And so this week, uh, as we continue sitting at the feet of Jesus, encountering his conversations, his teachings, his interactions, we are going to look at a passage wherein he is teaching on his favorite teaching topic. Do you want to know what his favorite teaching topic is? Overwhelming silence tells me you do. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. The Basileia to Theu. Or as Matthew refers to it, Matthew uses a sort of polite term. Instead of saying God, he says the kingdom of God. Of heaven. It's same, same uh, basic concept or same concept, the kingdom of God. This shows up 61 times in the New Testament, in the gospel. 61 times, 85 times if you count parallel passages where it shows up identically in like Matthew, Mark, or Luke. It's all over the place. Jesus seemed to always want to talk about it. And this morning, We're going to look in Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. You can follow along in the reading if you have your scriptures, or you can open it up on your phone, or you can just, like the original audience of Jesus' teaching, you can just sit and listen and listen to him unpack and discuss a particular dimension of the kingdom of God. Jesus speaks of it all the time, and each time it's sort of like like a really well-cut diamond. If you've ever seen one of those pieces of manipulated commodity, a diamond where you can look at it in the light and in one angle you see certain things and you you sort of move it around and you see, oh my goodness, I didn't see that side of it, and you shift it around even more. There are just so many angles into the diamond to see its beauty. The same thing with the kingdom of God. So Jesus is teaching on it almost every chance he gets again and again and again. And in this particular teaching, which is short and sweet, as will be my sermon, it'll be short, I'm not sure about sweet, but short for my standards. So under 50 minutes is normally short. And it's 
It's a teaching. There are two major emphases. We're going to look at one of them. Okay, so let's read it. Let's unpack it a little bit. And then uh, think about some implications in our world today. Matthew 13, 44. What is the kingdom of heaven? What is it like? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure having been hidden in a field. When someone finds it, that person quickly then reburies it. And out of his joy, from joy, departs, sells everything, as much as they have, and buys that field. The kingdom of heaven, like a treasure in a field, discovered, reburied, the individual then goes and sells out, just liquidates their assets, buys that field in their joy. Again, what is the kingdom of heaven like? The kingdom of heaven is like an emporos. There's a fun Greek term, emporos. It's, we get our term emporium from it. Uh, it's a merchant. A merchant who is seeking after really fine pearls. Really good pearls. One of my favorite things about this passage uh, I, is the Greek term for pearl. Do you want to know what it is? It's margarita. Literally, that's the Greek term. No relation to the frosty, delicious drink, but it is the same exact term, margaritas, which is fun. When I'm teaching Greek uh, at Biola, I like to bring out the various implications for other passages. So, for example, when you get to heaven, talking about Revelation, the pearly gates, right? It's like a blender. Welcome. Don't throw your... Margaritas at swine, don't be wasteful, right? That's a good passage. Don't throw pearls at swine. Lesser known passage. Okay, so with that being said, that has nothing to do with the actual text. I just think it's funny. And when things are funny, they pop in my head. I say them. There is no filter, which is a problem. Seeking after really fine pearls and finding a pearl, a polytimeon, a great super-duper value pearl, a really valuable pearl, this merchant goes and sells everything else that they have. They come and they buy that pearl. They buy that pearl. I think that great relationships, great romantic relationships, start out with some wonderful infatuation. I think that some great romantic relationships start with infatuation. Uh, before I even reflect on this, I want to uh, start off or lead with the, t- the truth that there are some folks, some of us that are called to be um, beautifully single and, and pursue the Lord and live a full, robust life without being married, and we sometimes lose sight of that in our particular culture. But with that said... My wife and I, we've been married for 15 years. That's right. You can clap at that. 15 years, people. I'm talking about 15 years. And when I was first dating Bray, like full infatuation. That, that, it's that thing where you're constantly listening to like love songs on the coast, like every night. 
Like Michael Bolton is, has a heavy pl- presence on your playlist. Um, I, would, I remember when I had a date with her in the evening, I'd be thinking about it all day long. I'd be prepping like some Old Spice baths I'd be taking, right? Just getting hair product LA looks. You remember LA looks? Just that hair product going on. Like, you know what I'm talking about, some LA looks. And and I'm waiting to go see her, and I pick her up, and my car smells fresh, one of those Christmas tree things I bought at the gas station, and I pick her up, and I take her out, and we go to the movies, or we go to Disneyland, or we go somewhere cool, go to dinner, and I drop her off, and immediately I get home, and I'm like, get on the phone, and I talk to her. I want to just talk to Bray, like, nonstop, and it, was, it wasn't easy. Like, there were no cellular telephones at that point in time. Young people... Let me explain something to you. There was a time where a phone was connected to the wall with a twirly-whirly wire, and yet I would have to sit in the kitchen with the door closed as my brother was in the living room and whisper loving thoughts to my beautiful Bray. Oh, so sweet. Like, and you didn't want the conversation to end. You remember that? You just did not want it to end. You're like, so do you like clouds? Tell me about clouds. Like, what's your position on the French Revolution? Like, you're just trying to keep the conversation going because you're just so overwhelmed, infatuated. Absolutely love that phase in a relationship, a good relationship. My dad always used to tell me, he said, James, he was a pastor, and, and he, you know, he, he thought it was really important, and I think it's, it's important, too, that that you share the same faith as the person that you are going to be potentially going on, on a long journey with. And he said, James, let me give you a question. If there's a girl that you're not really attracted to, but boy, she loves Jesus. Or a girl that you're really attracted to, but she doesn't love Jesus, she's not interested in that world, which one do you date? And I'm like, oh man, dad. I mean, I'm pretty sure you want me to say like the plain one that I'm not that attracted to, but I guess that one, and he says, the answer is neither. None, right? You should not be dating it. You, know, you, you date a woman if you're attracted to them, if you really are infatuated, if you like them, if you're... <clears throat> so there's some dating advice you got today for free. And that particular season is so fun, and it really it's what makes all of our love songs and all of our favorite parts of movies is that infatuation phase. It's that phase where you don't have to convince me to read a, a, a love note that she writes me. I don't have to hold it and go, you know what, I'll have to get to this after math, because she might ask about it, so I better read it. I'm reading it, I'm decoding it, I'm trying to see, is there an implied message here? Like, if she scratches something out, I'm holding it up to the light to see what did she originally write. I love reading it, because you can't stop me from being with her, thinking about her. It's a great phase in a relationship, and it's a really important phase in a relationship. Infatuated with Jesus. That was the first point in this message. How many times have you heard a sermon about infatuated with Jesus? I'd never heard that before, so I thought I'd try it out and see what happens. This particular parable has two major pieces that it's pushing. And I don't know why, but there's like a feedback. Is anyone else noticing that feedback, or is it just me? It's up here. Okay. I'll go to see the doctor and see what's going on. In this particular conversation, there's two things being emphasized in this very simple passage. The first piece that we could preach on is the selling out. It's the seeing something of such value that you give everything else for it. You're just giving, you're all in, full throttle, no holding back. 
That's one beautiful piece. We talked about that when we looked at the story of uh, the woman anointing Jesus. Remember, giving all that she had, all in for Jesus. But there's another piece I want to talk about today, and it's motivation. Motivation, the kingdom of God, the imperial rule of God, the way that human life flourishes when it's running according to God's program, according to the way it was designed to be. The kingdom of God. What is it that draws us to the kingdom of God, to the things of God? What pulls us to Jesus? What's the motivation? There are so many motivations that I think uh, I have experienced, I have probably used. When well-meaning, I want folks to consider Christ. I want folks to think through their lives and go, you really should consider Jesus of Nazareth. There's some that we've used as a church, as Christians historically, motivating factors to get folks involved in the Jesus things. Um, One popular one that's been popular for a long time and and throughout history, fear. Fear is a motivating factor. Fear works in politics. Fear works in a lot of spheres of our our life. We we sometimes, fear could be the primary motivation. Like, the most obvious forms, the dude at Hollywood and Highland or at a concert with the blowhorn and the turn or burn chant, right? Like, you want to suffer immeasurably when you die? I don't think so. You better find Jesus, right? Now, now, normally the hell is pictured kind of like this medieval Tom and Jerry torture chamber, but that's another sermon for another day. But the fact that that is oftentimes being deployed to help folks come on into Jesus, it's you better or else it's going to be terrible for you. Now, is that a motivating factor? Sure. Is that the motivating factor that we see Jesus unveiling in this passage? Obligation's a good one. Obligation's a really good one. You should follow Jesus. Which means, I know there's a really fun party happening in the other room. And there's karaoke and bounce houses and a popcorn machine. And it's awesome. But you have to hang your head. Give up the fun life, give up the excitement, give up the zest, and, and, and come on over to the drab Jesus party, where it will be, out of duty, out of obligation, a life of self-neglect, self-denial for Jesus. You'll hear the music through the wall sometimes, but don't listen. This is the right road. It's a sorry, sad road, but there will be a reward. So I can sometimes, it's obligation. Guilt is a good one. Anyone here experience guilt? Anyone here use guilt? Don't raise your hand. Guilt's a, <laughs> right, Liz. Guilt's a good one. Guilt motivates us. You want to be a good little boy and a good little girl. You should be a good little boy. You should be a good little girl. And you're a naughty boy and you're a naughty girl. Jesus Jesus, well, he'll help you with that. He'll get you in line. This can be a powerful teaching tool. I was a youth pastor for eight years of my life, my younger years. And unfortunately, out of just well, well intention, sometimes it's easy to fall into this particular track. Because you see these amazing youths. And these amazing youths are 
growing and changing and their brains are shaping and there are all these opportunities and some of the opportunities, you're like, that's a cliff, be careful, you're playing close to a cliff. And so Jesus becomes the electric fence. Like, you don't want to fall off the cliff, you don't want to make bad decisions, don't drink or chew or go with girls who do, Jesus will help you. And Jesus becomes this moral motivation. Now, is there moral implications? By the way, for all of these, are there some, some truths to it? Sure. But indulge me for a moment without having to qualify every statement. Shame is a really good one. Guilt and shame, a little bit different. Shame is a powerful motivation. How could you turn your back on God? How could you possibly turn your back on the living God? He gave so much for you. He gave so much for you on the cross, and look at you, sitting there with your navy t-shirt, khaki pants. I'm looking at you, Corey. I'm looking at you. We're matching today. Jesus gave everything, and you can't even give him a little Sunday once in a while? Huh. Interesting. Right? So shame becomes this thing of, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. Jesus, I'm yours. Social pressure, you want to be part of this family, this club, this church, this group, then you better get on the Jesus train, baby, because here's a t-shirt, we're all in, bumper sticker, WWJD, let's move forward together. You want to be in, you got to be a Jesus person. God squad in session. Then there's the classic bait and switch. The bait and switch is, do you want your life supercharged? Has your life hit in a plateau and needs to break through that ceiling of spiritual enlightenment? Well, Jesus is your answer. He'll take that boring humdrum life and turn it into a snazzy, exciting, existentially meaningful existence. So come on in. 10% of your tithe, that's all we're asking, right? So this, this sort of promise that Jesus is just trying to supersize your life. Or Jesus just wants your belief system. Let's floss up your worldview a little bit. Let's clean it up. Let's clarify it. Jesus will help you with that. And then no one tells you until you start reading your Bible, oh, by the way, Jesus doesn't want to supercharge your life. He wants your entire life. He wants every key to every door of your house. He wants your shame. He wants your guilt. He wants your history. He wants your future. And he looks at you and says, this relationship won't work if I don't have all of you. Bait and switch. There's so many ways to motivate folks into it. And I've probably been guilty of using a bunch of them. I want you to see simply the motivating factor in this small but really significant parable. You find the treasure. And the prepositional phrase here, from his joy, motivated, driven, captivated, saturated with joy, this person goes and sells everything and buys that field. There is no head hanging. There is no arm twisting. There's no manipulation. There's no mixed emotions here. It's a pure infusion of infatuation. I have seen and tasted and beheld the truth of God. The good life is here. It's real. It's within reach. And I'm all in. And I'm jumping in. Out of my deep joy, I'm moved. 
and I'm in. It's, it's a powerful thing. It is a truth that I know for me, I want to be more and more my presentation of, by the way, it's called the gospel, right? The good news, the good, great, wonderful news is it is so good. The good news. And as a church, as a, leader, a leadership team, we really believe that what we want to all be about is this wonderful, let's use the metaphor of a fountain, a rich, life-giving fountain of the kingdom of God that we are all huddling around and saying, have you tasted this? Have you experienced this? But we're not saying, hey, you in the back, get over here. Come on, you better taste it. Jesus is mad. Baby Jesus is crying. Get over here and have a sip. But rather we're saying, it's here. And we come together and we huddle around it and we sing songs of worship and we encourage one another and we have time of deep reflection on our ancient sacred tradition and we think about our today and our tomorrows together and you're welcome you don't have to come we're not going to twist your arm or lock the doors until you have had a sip but we believe that if you do if you truly do you'll begin to see what what has captured our hearts is that human flourishing purpose created intention forgiveness Shame being dug out of our lives and burned. Open arm of God to bring prodigals back. That's what we found, and, and we're captivated, and we're motivated, and we're here. It's a simple sermon. And the last point, I told you this is world record James preaching. The last point, and I'm not even going to... Go, go through the whole passage, but in John 6. Notice the motivation into Jesus. Joy, discovery of truth. Check out the, the, the title I put for this is In Love with Jesus. Infatuated with Jesus is the first one. In Love with Jesus is the second. There's a point in time, Jesus' numbers are growing. People are excited. The buzz is out there. It's a very promising future. The early investors are really excited that they hitched their wagon to the Jesus movement. And then Jesus does something that I think often happens in our lives today. The Lord does something that frequently I think I've experienced and I know many of us who are being honest have experienced. He does something that you end up going, dang, why'd you do that? Why'd you have to do that thing? Or why weren't you there in that place I needed you? Or where did you go? Why, I can't get my brain and heart around why you allowed this, that, or the other to happen, the profound suffering that I've experienced, the rejection that I've experienced, the fact that, quite frankly, I don't see enough evidence for you. Why aren't you more transparent? Why aren't you out there more? I'm failing you didn't protect me from these things. There's conflict among Christians. Darn it, Christians are fighting with each other. That shouldn't happen. God, why aren't you refereeing and intervening? Or you just read the scriptures and you hear something and you go, this is a hard thing. Jesus, why aren't you more clear? In John 6, Jesus is giving a teaching to a big group in a synagogue of Second Temple Jews, which he was one himself. And he's giving a teaching, and it's a really hard teaching, 
And all of a sudden it says, in chapter 6 of John, verse 60, on hearing it, many disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept this? And you can imagine his crew, the early investors, his disciples sitting over here going, oh, Jesus, what are you doing? Why are you saying that? Like, come on. This is hurting the brand. This is, you need a social media guy. Your PR person is, you need him in the game right now. You're ruining it. And it says, from this time on, verse 66, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They started leaving Just as the movement was hitting what we would all see as a promising new horizon, it starts bleeding members. They're looking at what Jesus Jesus is saying. They're looking at the full picture of Jesus they can see, and they're going, I don't know that I like this. And I'm out. And he looks over to his early investors. He looks over to the earliest disciples that have gone all in. They left jobs, families, honor, on what many would see as a dangerous gamble following Jesus of Nazareth, claiming to be indeed God with us. And he looks to them and he asks his disciples, come on, guys, just hold on, don't leave. I promise I'll explain it. Wait, 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 sit down, sit down, sit down. Can someone get them some aquafina or some water and a fan? I'll explain it, I promise, don't go. What am I gonna do without you? Unbreak my heart. Love songs. It's just in my head. Tori Braxton. Jesus doesn't cajole. Oh, you want to go? Fine. Well, I mean, I guess I didn't do anything for you, like feed you, like make that great wine for you. Just go ahead and go. He's not manipulating. Oh, you want to go? Huh, typical. Typical disciples. One bad thing happens and you go running. You're weak. He doesn't guard the exits. Peter, John, tackle anyone that gets by. We're not leaving here unless we're leaving together, right? He doesn't use supernatural power and go, fine, boom, full David Copperfield. There's another 80s, 90s reference. He doesn't do any of that. Do you notice? What does he do? He says this. He looks and says, you don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And watch him squirm. I picture Peter sitting there going, dude, I don't want to... Yeah, I kind of want to leave. Because you're kind of not showing up for us, Jesus. You're kind of working against us, Jesus. You're kind of not what I signed on for, Jesus. I thought dot, 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 and what we seem to be getting is something very different. It's confusing. And, and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Like, do I want to go? Jesus, with his quiet confidence, not insecure, not squirming, not nervous about losing some followers. He knows who he is. He knows what he's about. He knows the truth of the human plight. He's seen the brokenness. He will, in short days, be the subject of the worst of human brokenness, where empire crushes around him and strings him up to die a slave's death on a cross, naked, alone, betrayed, suffering, and par- he know He's eyes wide open about reality of life, and yet he says to them, do you want to go? I'm not guarding the exits for you. You are so free to leave at any time. And I won't chase you into the lobby and make you feel bad. 
or try to throw convincing arguments your way. Instead, I'm going to say, do you want to go? And Peter looks over and says, Jesus, to whom are we going to go? You have the words of life. We see God in you. And I I guess my closing reflection is there are going to be moments beyond our capability to understand where God is going to seem hidden, confusing, distant, where the infatuation phase of I want in and you can't tear me away from this will give way to a place where the question is going to be, do you want to go? And what's so inspiring to me about this is two things. One, the fact that that's the very secure, loving Jesus that we serve, is the Jesus that is not here to put a shackle around your neck and potty train you. We're teaching a puppy right now that just came into my head. And force you, but rather offers life and has jumped into our sufferings with us, does not give us the answers we want. I want so desperately the answer to that question. Why is there the suffering that we see? And I can look over at Jesus, behold him dying, and there is an answer there. It's not the answer I want. It's not the logical answer I want. It's the relational, divine answer, which is, I'm in it with you. As dark as the night gets, God is in it with us. But he's not locking the doors. And so today, as we reflect, some of you that are followers of Jesus, some of you that are considering it, some of you that are maybe like some of the disciples, going, I don't know that I'm even in right now. I want us to be refreshed with the motivations and to be reminded of the motivations of the Jesus-following life. And it's not guilt, manipulation, shame, social control, bait and switch, lies, rhetoric, empty promises. But it's life, as Jesus says, and life to the fullest. So Lord, as we consider now our historical moment, and the pain that, that many are in where senseless tragedy where lives that should never be lost are lost. Or maybe it's the moment where a relationship, a human relationship is falling apart and we don't know why that's happening or what to do about it. Or maybe it's the overwhelming like a million bee stings where anxiety just stings us all over and we can't sleep at night. And we're wondering, God, where are you in this? That, Lord, we'd see you with open arms and quiet confidence and loving eyes and all the truth that is the Lord God inviting us to remain with you if we so wish. We're captured by you. We're captivated by you. Lord Jesus, And we thank you that we get to freely walk forward in times of joy and pain into the arms of of truth and love and comfort where shame perishes 
Hold us now, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.